Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. A warm welcome to the show wherever you are in the world. I'm Julia Chatterley, and today we begin with news of a new COVID-19 variant. Let me just explain what we know so far. The new variant was first detected in South Africa and Botswana. The current concern is tied to the unusually high number of mutations in what's known as the spike protein, which very simply makes it more difficult to predict how the virus will react, including how it may react to vaccines. We are going to be discussing all of this during the show. The World Health Organization will be meeting in the coming hours to discuss, and for now, it's advising caution. But plenty of governments are already taking precautions. Those in yellow, just to give you a sense, the UK, France, Germany and Japan among them are restricting flights from South Africa and several other African nations, which are shown in red on the map. Belgium has just become the first European country to confirm a case of the new variant. And together... Investors are reacting with caution, as you would imagine, pairing back positions. And we're seeing pressure on things like stocks, as you can see there, an array of red across stock markets around the world. And we're seeing energy, oil prices lower and a flight to safety in the US dollar. European stocks, as you can see there, clearly struggling as the latest variant adds to already existing worries about the spread of the current dominant variant, Delta, Asia, also, as you can see, had a tough session as well. And that's the handover to the United States where markets will only be open for a few hours today. Just bear in mind as well that many investors will still be on holiday post Thanksgiving and that means thin volumes, outside moves across these markets should be expected. Okay, and as you can see there, and I mention it very briefly, but futures are higher than where they were. So they're still in the red, but they have recovered somewhat based on the overnight hours. Okay, let's get to the drivers. First, the context and what we need to understand about this new variant. CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen has some details. There are mutations and variants all the time. Most of them never make it to the world stage. Some, like Delta, are particularly clever, and they do make it to the world stage. We don't know which one this will be. But let's take a look at some of the basics of this new variant that South African researchers are talking about to the WHO. So the name of it, as you said, B11529, it does not have a Greek letter yet. Uh, We don't know what that will be if they give it one. Um, There have been, what they've seen that's so disturbing is that there are more than 30 mutations in the spike protein. That's important because the spike protein is how this virus works. It's how it infects us. And the vaccines are built to fight that spike protein. So if there are too many mutations in the wrong places, it could be a problem for either natural immunity or vaccinations. UK, Germany, Japan, and other countries have restricted travel from South Africa. Now, to put this in even more context, if you remember back to January, there was another variant spotted in South Africa that did really real damage there, but never got onto the world stage. So we don't know if this is going to be like that variant that was spotted in South Africa or 
God forbid, would it become like Delta? So that's what the World Health Organization is going to be discussing today, and we will wait to hear what they have to say. Okay, Elizabeth Cohen there, and Anna Stewart is looking at the market reaction for us. Anna, I think as Elizabeth was saying there, there is much that we don't know yet, and it's the uncertainty that I think is playing into global markets in addition to the restrictions, in addition to the fact that liquidity is tight because we're post the Thanksgiving holiday. Just walk us through what we're seeing. Exactly that. And I think it is important to remember, as you say, after Thanksgiving, volumes are low, moves are being exacerbated. But waking up this morning, it kind of felt like I woke up in the wrong year. It felt like spring 2020 with a really broad sell off investors rebalancing their portfolios, particularly, of course, on equity markets, exiting uh, many. And we saw a broad sell off in Europe and in Asia. Some sectors obviously being hit harder than others, not surprisingly, travel and leisure. Look at some of the airline stocks in Europe, IAG. EasyJet, Ryanair, Lufthansa, all down double digits on fears that this uh, could lead to further travel restrictions in addition to what we saw, of course, overnight regarding southern African countries. Some uh, stock winners here, of course, the so-called lockdown stocks, particularly those related to remote working or home delivery. So some stocks like uh, Ocado, Delivery Hero, HelloFresh, they are all bucking the trend uh, and outperforming this broad sell-off we are seeing. In terms of oil, oil down nearly 7% earlier today. Uh, No surprise there if investors' uh, fears are realised and we're seeing uh, potentially a pullback in terms of travel. If we could see further lockdowns, if that hits manufacturing, of course, you could see a fall in demand of oil. And that's a similar story we're seeing actually across commodities like copper, aluminium, zinc, nickel, and so on. Where is all the money going? No surprises, fleeing for safety. So we are, of course, seeing gold higher today. Also, pumping into treasuries and other bonds. You'll see yields falling uh, today. It'll be interesting to see whether that continues as the U.S. market opens, of course. Uh, And safe haven currencies, the dollar, the yen, faring very well today, much higher, but of course not so much the South African rand, which is lower. Is all this an overreaction, Julia? I mean, possibly. We don't know enough about this virus in terms uh, of its uh, impact on vaccine immunity, in terms of transmissibility. Elizabeth Cohen makes that really clear. But today, clearly, investors are deciding to sell now and ask questions later. Yes, it's a classic risk-off day. I think that's what we call it based on what you're saying. And actually, the energy markets are interesting from the fact that Of course, this week, the announcements over the releases of um, oil from strategic reserves around the world, right into a point where we're now now concerned about the recovery of travel. So that was a perfect storm, at least in terms of what we're seeing for market action today. Anna, also important to the point that you just made as well about overreaction. We're trading at or around record highs. If you've made a lot of money this year, why would you risk it? You wouldn't. You would take some money off the table here and out of the markets. And obviously, too, we are at record levels. So you're going to get sensitivity around breaking news like this. Exactly. I think it was a note from Wells Fargo recently saying, yes, a rally potentially into the end of the year, but not much further than that. And we've seen Mm. record highs just this week, the S&B and the Nasdaq. That just goes to show how long this week has been. And in Europe, the Cat Courant hit high actually in November as well. Add to that the low volumes post Thanksgiving. Is there any surprise here? And also, actually, let's add to that on top of all of that, the European sentiment, given they are facing a fourth wave of coronavirus. Sentiment is lower here, but perhaps that hadn't been fully priced in. Julia? Yeah, and that's exactly where we're going next. Anna Stewart, thank you for the context there. 
Okay, the UK and several EU nations have banned flights from South Africa over the new COVID variant. Travel curbs are also in place for six neighbouring nations. The EU Commission says it may pull an emergency break, quote, to halt all air travel from the region. The White House's chief medical advisor, Dr Fauci, had this to say about a potential US travel ban. Obviously, as soon as we find out more information, we'll make a decision as quickly as we possibly can. You always put these things on the table, but you don't want to say you're going to do it until you have some scientific reason to do it. Yeah, we don't have that scientific data yet, and that's key. Nada Bashir joins us now. That might not stop the European Commission. I believe they're going to make an announcement on this as, as early as today. Right, Julia, you heard from Fauci there saying that they are looking at making a decision as soon as they possibly can. And the pressure is certainly being felt here in the European Union. The European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen saying that they may pull that break stop halting travel to the Southern African region, as we've seen previously in travel restrictions across the European Union. And indeed, the UK, we heard this morning from the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, speaking in the House of Commons, warning that the government is deeply concerned uh, by the discovery of this new variant. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, now we have one person confirmed, a case confirmed in Belgium of this new variant and there are serious concerns that this could spread and the pressure is on now for European leaders to stem the spread of that virus. We've seen other European countries taking similar measures, halting travel to the region and also putting into place restrictive measures within their own countries. The UK has introduced uh, once again South Africa to, to, to its red list and that means citizens coming back or travellers coming back will have to quarantine for 10 days in a hotel at their own expense. So there is pressure now to encourage people not to travel to this region but there are also serious concerns that as we move into the winter months the COVID situation in Europe could spiral out of control and put the healthcare sector across the continent under immense pressure. Now we have seen some countries including Austria and Slovakia most recently introducing that lockdown other European countries reluctant to go into those lockdowns that we've seen in the past, introducing tougher measures, including bringing back mandatory mask wearing and uh, encouraging citizens to go out and get the booster jab, that third uh, coronavirus vaccine to really boost immunity in the country. France, for example, as well as pushing that incentive for people to get vaccines, they've got their health pass, which citizens have to prove to show that they've either tested negative for coronavirus or uh, have had the vaccine and are fully vaccinated in order to access places like restaurants and bars even to travel within the country and now they're asking people who aren't vaccinated to prove that they have tested negative for coronavirus within the last 24 hours so we've seen across europe these measures coming into force closures including the uh, much loved christmas markets in austria for example so there are serious pressures now on european leaders to stem the spread of the virus and this news of a confirmed case in belgium is only going to heighten that pressure julia yes heightening the concern nada bashir thank you so much for that update there Okay, to now the nation where uh, this COVID variant was first identified, South Africa's government urging its people to remain vigilant while the new variant is investigated. David McKenzie joins us now from Johannesburg. David, they're saying be vigilant, but also take measures that could perhaps help fight this, which is vaccinations. Talk to us about, one, what they're saying and what people are doing in terms of response and how prevalent vaccines are. Well, well... Well, South Africa has a, a lot of vaccines available, but in fact, there has been relatively slow uptake recently. Less than 40% of the adult population is vaccinated. So again, on this news emerging of a new variant discovered here in South Africa, though unclear where it came from, uh, it is again being stressed that people need to vaccinate as quickly 
as possible. Right now, the country isn't in its worst uh, phase of COVID-19 by any means. We've had a very significant waves here, three of them in uh, South Africa since the beginning of this pandemic. There was expected to be a fourth wave in the coming weeks. The reason they are so concerned here is because of the level of mutation on this variant, as well as some early signs that it may be spreading fast. And I have to say, these are early signs. There's very little definitive about this variant. But because of that combination of factors, something with a lot of mutations, and it's spreading locally relatively quickly, that is why they came out and came public very uh, soon. Uh, despite these travel bans, uh, the, or because of the travel bans, the South African government has said they believe some of these decisions were too hasty. Uh, and the Africa CDC uh, has said that uh, these kind of bans are unhelpful. Uh, but we have seen this before when difficult variants have emerged for countries to close their borders. Julia? David, you raise such a great point, and it's that what we've seen in the past is a reluctance to report when you identify at a variant in a country because of the stigma, because of the response in terms of closed borders and restrictions. I think we do have to make the point here that this has been incredibly quickly, we believe, reported by the South African government. And, and they should be commended for that because the scientific response now to identify what the implications are will happen incredibly quickly as a result. Well, it could give uh, more tools in the toolbox in terms of combating this variant. And certainly the South African uh, scientists have been praised for their swift release of information as it came in within you know, 72 hours, frankly. Uh, I just spoke a short time ago to a WHO official who raised your exact point, that they are worried that punitive measures brought in quickly uh, might dissuade future countries and their scientists for announcing uh, these kind of details, because frankly, again, this will have a devastating impact on South Africa's economy. We, in this country at least, are heading towards peak tourist season. The UK is the main trade and tourist uh, partner of South Africa. Uh, and just, you know, as it happens, all through the day, I've received messages from people who are planning to come to this country. We've mm. had to cancel those plans. You extrapolate that out to the wider population and a country that was just recovering economically from the virus, you see how this will pummel the tourist sector. Again, it's this weighing up public health and right. the economy. At this stage, we just don't know uh, whether these bans are uh, crucial or it's a uh, overkill. Uh, just we won't know for several weeks. Yeah, responsible behavior, but with potential devastating consequences, at least in the short term. We need the scientists to get to work and understand exactly what this is. And that could take some time. David McKenzie, thank you. OK, still to come on First Move, France bans the UK from a key summit amid a standoff over the deaths of 27 migrants at sea. We've got the latest on that. And of course, more analysis and explanation over what we're seeing around the globe and the latest on this COVID variant. Stay with us, we're back up to this.
All right, welcome back to First Move and a quick look once again at the market impact of concerns about a new COVID variant first identified in South Africa and Botswana. And of course, news that governments are tightening border restrictions on arrivals from South Africa and six other nations. As you would imagine, U.S. futures under a bit of pressure here. We are down some 2.2 percent for the Dow. The Nasdaq not quite so bad, down some 1 percent. This was far worse overnight. And I will reiterate this. It looks very painful at this stage, but actually we were worse several hours ago. So we're pulling some of this back. Liquidity, remember, is thin as well following the Thanksgiving holiday. And that's when you tend to see these kind of outside moves. No escape, though, in terms of what we're seeing for Europe off some 3%. The French market's off almost 4% as well. It's pandemic losers, the airlines, the travel stocks, all those concerns that were already there in terms of the European session with the rising COVID cases that they're seeing. Energy, Brent crude, WTI also under significant pressure, a key double whammy here, not only losing ground as a result of potential future restrictions, but already we saw this week the release of strategic oil reserves. So that was already creating some downward pressure on the energy complex as well. Some of the winners here, gold up some 1.3%. You tend to see this flight to safety when we see this kind of reaction and this kind of news in markets. So a flight to quality in terms of gold. We see a flight to safety in terms of bonds. You're seeing bond yields coming down as well as bond prices rise as people buy bonds for safety. And of course, the Japanese yen, a safety currency as well, gaining some ground too. Okay, let's move on. Ukraine's president has dramatically alleged that Russia is plotting to oust him in a coup. Coup, as the US warns, a Russian invasion of the country is very possible. Matthew Chance in London has more details for us. Matthew, great to have you with us. The Ukrainian president holding a presser today saying that they believe that they'd got news of a potential coup that would take place as early as next week. What more do we know? And did he directly suggest that the Russians were involved here? Matthew, just checking that uh, I have contact with you. Are you there? Okay, I think we've got him. Matthew, just explain what the Ukrainian president said today and whether or not he directly said he believed the Russians were involved in this potential coup. Um, he, he, you know, this, this allegation, first of all, was made in an extended press conference that... Well, I, I can hear you very well. Can, can you hear me? It, Matthew, I've got you. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you very well, Julia. I just don't know whether you can hear me. But look, I mean, the, the context of those remarks were made, uh, they were made during an extended press conference that uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, has been sort of engaged in for the past several hours in, 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 in the capital, um, in the capital, Kiev. Um, he basically said that, look, you know, it's been identified by the Ukrainian security services that there will be a coup that's been planned uh, against Ukraine um, and the security services had listened in to telephone calls made between uh, Russians and Ukrainians uh, to organise that coup. Um, one of the people who was mentioned by uh, the Ukrainian president was a, a, a businessman in Ukraine. In fact, Ukraine's richest man, Rinat Akhmetov, his name is, He's, um, you know, an oligarch in the country, essentially a rich businessman who controls you know, massive economic interests throughout the country, particularly in the east. Um, it, it said that 
Renat Akhmetov was the person that was being spoken with um, to uh, organise that coup, although there was no direct implication made that Mr Akhmetov had anything to do with it at all. Uh, and of course there's been no evidence presented by Vladimir Zelensky uh, for the allegations and for the claims he's made about this coup, which he said it was going to take place within the next few days, on the 1st and the 2nd, or the 2nd uh, of, of December. But, you know, Julia, I think you have to look at it within the context of Ukrainian politics. And what's going on right now is that there's a broad crackdown being staged by President Zelensky against oligarchs in the country to try and you know, take away some of their political power and, and some of their economic power as well. Um, uh, there are two things with that. The first is that there are genuine, there's a genuine sort of fifth column in Ukraine, people who are, who are believed to be working in the interests of the Russian state to undermine Ukraine. And there's a sense of legitimacy and purpose in cracking down on those individuals. Um, but the criticism of President Zelensky is that he's gone beyond that line and it is using this sort of uh, reason to undermine the, the, the oligarchs to crack down on individuals who are critical of him, who pose a threat to his, to his continued power and to his, and to his popularity. And so, you know, uh, there's a sense in which uh, Vladimir Zelensky is being accused of you know, sort of abusing this authority that he's got and abusing these anti-oligarch laws to crack down on people who are, who are critical of his, of his government. Yes, this press conference raising many more questions. Matthew, uh, thank you for joining us there and I apologise to our viewers for the uh, slight issues with the connection okay, there. Lost, I will uh, let you I've go. Thank you. Matthew Chance there. Okay, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. French President Emmanuel Macron says an open letter addressed to him on Twitter from the British Prime Minister is, quote, not serious. And now France has disinvited Britain from an intergovernmental meeting on the migrant crisis. 27 migrants trying to reach the UK died on Tuesday when their boat capsized after leaving France. CNN's Nick Robertson joins us now. Nick, great to have you with us. I think we should provide our viewers with the context over the tweet that was sent out by the British Prime Minister as well. And the suggestion was that France really needs to do more and accept those migrants back if they come as a deterrent. But not having them all as part of this discussion today surely is not going to help find a solution. It doesn't appear to be. Uh, this sort of fractious relationship between Britain and France that has been going on, ongoing, really, perhaps you could say since Brexit, particularly over fishing rights in the English Channel, also the UK replacing France to uh, build uh, submarines for Australia. That's uh, really hurt relations. But over this migrant issue, it's been festering for some time. The Prime Minister tweeted and wrote an open letter to the French government last night to President Macron, in fact, specifically, um, saying that he wanted to improve the coordination and cooperation with France over handling uh, migrants crossing the channel so there wouldn't be another catastrophe, horrible catastrophe, uh, as we saw on Wednesday when 27 people died. He said he wanted better cooperation, maritime patrols, better surveillance uh, aircraft, better technology use, better intelligence sharing. And he again put out what he'd said the previous day uh, to the French, the Prime Minister saying that he wanted British border force officials on the ground in France patrolling with uh, French uh, policemen. The French had already said no to that. Uh, the Home Secretary stood up in Parliament subsequent to the French rejection and said it again, then followed by the Prime Minister's letter. 
So it's been a, a sense of tone deafness, perhaps on both sides, certainly a case of, of, of talking past each other. The relationship between the British Home Secretary, Priti Patel, and her opposite number in France is also a fractious and very difficult relationship, as best we know. Um, and so this has sort of culminated at this moment with this very important meeting, meeting of, of Home Secretaries, uh, interior ministers, if you will, uh, to handle the migrant crisis more broadly around the channel. Um, and it will now, appears, is going to be absent the key player from the UK. Yeah. Nick Robertson, thank you very much for your context there. Okay, we'll be back after this with the market open. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. And I have to say, it is nice to see smiling faces there at the New York Stock Exchange, despite some of the broader concerns. U.S. markets today are open for a shorter post-Thanksgiving session, which also matters too. And investors are using the little time they have today to move away from riskier assets into some of the safe havens, as we've discussed. The Dow and the S&P 500 are opening lower. As you can see there, the Dow down some 2.2%. There are worries. A new COVID variant could potentially put another spanner in the works of the global economic recovery. The Nasdaq is also down, but not by as much with the situation favoring some of the post-pandemic stock winners or the pandemic stock winners that we've seen. And of course, that favored the technology stocks. One already measurable consequence, some countries restricting flights from Southern Africa, heaping misery on the already battered travel sector. Morocco is the latest one now to ban travelers from South Africa. Richard Quest joins us now. Richard, great to have you and your insights on the show. I've mentioned already thin liquidity because it's a post-Thanksgiving holiday session, real nervousness and a lack of clarity about what we're dealing with here. It all spells trouble for uh, financial markets. Oh, today, without doubt. And across Europe, you're seeing that with two to three percent falls. Mm. And I'm guessing that you're looking at uh, similar sort of numbers, at least at the open in New York. This is going to be ugly. Today is going to be an ugly day because of the one thing that you and I have said more times than we can shake a stick at. Markets hate uncertainty. And what they have now been had dumped on them is a huge amount of uncertainty. This new variant, which doesn't even have a, a name yet, a, a, you know, sort of a, a, a nickname, um, and we don't know how bad it's going to be. We don't know the sort of restrictions. We are seeing travel restrictions already. Uh, the EC uh, president, uh, von der Leyen, has called for more restrictions, travel restrictions. So I think, I think look, anyone who went through 2020 is not going to be frightened today in the market, mm. but they're going to be giving pause for thought. Is this a buying opportunity? Is this a wait and see? Is this a do nothing? Yeah, I mean, there is, a, there is a wait and see element here because we have to wait for the science. What we saw with the Delta variant was it swept around the <clears throat> right. world. We learned to but, deal with it. With this one, it may or may not uh, be the case. Uh, we don't know about vaccines, <clears throat> efficacy. There's so many questions and things that we don't know. Go on. And the question is whether, given that we're at record highs, we're right at the end of the year, you take money off the table and you don't need to worry about those questions. You just take profits. Or Pro do you wait and see? Because there are the implications about well, timing here too. The problem for the retail investor is this market's already on its way down. So hmm. and, unless you've got sizable, <coughs> excuse me, unless you've got sizable profits already baked in, you're going to lose 3% today off that. Uh, do you take do you do you lose that now and hold for a better or do you just ride it out? I think the more difficult question 
is when to get back in. Anyone who saw the sharp losses of 2020 and regrets not having bought more or seen a turnaround, even if you don't time the bottom of the market, is going to say, is this 2020 redux? Is this an opportunity? Now, look, I'm not being Pollyanna here, nor nor am I being uncaring about what we're about to see. I'm simply putting in terms of an investor strategy where you have to make decisions where there's a wall of cash still looking for homes and the market is about to take a tumble. Is this the tumble that you've been waiting for? Yes, whether it's something that we're about to see or not see, quite frankly. And I think that's part of the challenge. And Richard, if we go back four days, sitting at record highs for stocks in particular in the United States, but beyond, we were looking for a catalyst either to justify going higher or to perhaps see us pull back a little bit and see some kind of natural correction that does happen in these markets. The question is, what is this? The, the, yes, exactly. And the new, the new equ- uh, equation for this variant is how we live with it. In 2020, we didn't know what we were doing. We were literally knee-jerking our way around the crisis. We now have the vaccines. We have extremely ex- extensive testing. We know a lot more about what works and what doesn't. So, If you go pandemic to endemic, which is what this is, how do we live with it? I was out for dinner last night in New York and things were pretty normal. The question to ask, how is this, how is this new variant going to affect this new normality, which is already different from the normality we had last year? Yeah, such a great point. We've learned to deal with this on so many levels. And the fact that we're even discussing this, that we know that there's a new variant out there, that the scientists are jumping on board. That's very different from what we've seen in the past. Um, Thank you, Richard. Reasons to be optimistic. And we we need to talk about those. Richard Quest, as always, sir. Thank you. Now, at the moment, as Richard and I were discussing, we're still trying to understand what the new COVID variant may or may not mean. Here's what Dr. Anthony Fauci, the chief medical advisor to President Biden, just told CNN. When you look at a mutation, it can give you a hint or a prediction that it might evade the immune response. What you need to do is you need to get that particular sequence of the virus, put it in a form in the lab where you can actually test the different antibodies. So you can have a prediction that it might evade or you can actually prove it. Right now we're getting the material together with our South African colleagues to get a situation where you could actually directly test it. So right now you're talking about sort of like a red flag that this might be an issue, but we don't know. Once you test it, you'll know for sure whether or not it does or does not evade the antibodies that we make. Okay, let's get some more context on this. Joining us now, Dr. Paul Sachs. He's Professor of Medicine for Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Sachs, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Two questions, as Richard and I were discussing there, and what we don't know yet, degree of transmissibility, degree to which this may or may not evade our vaccines and our current antibody treatments. How concerned are you? Well, the the biggest concern, as Dr. Fauci mentioned, is that there are quite a few mutations in this variant compared to what we had before. 
And we also see that in South Africa, it is starting to outcompete the Delta variant. But, but remember, that's in a context of where Delta had already dropped substantially. One of the great unknowns about COVID-19 is that countries and, and regions go through these cycles of increased cases and decreased cases. And we like to think we know what causes it, but sometimes we don't. So under very low case numbers, this variant has emerged in South Africa quite quickly. Um, the issue about vaccine evasion is a very important one. But I don't believe that the vaccines are going to prove uh, useless, even if it does have a certain degree of vaccine evasion. Remember, our immune system is much more complicated than just antibodies. We also have cellular immune responses. I think it's important to note that the people who have been identified with this variant, some of them have been completely without symptoms, which means that the vaccines are still doing the work of preventing severe disease. So while I very much look forward to seeing those experiments that were mentioned taking people's blood and seeing whether it neutralizes the, the, the variant. Uh, I really feel there's cause for optimism that the vaccines are going to continue to protect us. And so I cannot stress enough the importance of vaccination for protection. Yeah, and we need to calm down, I think, at this stage. To your point, there's no evidence today to suggest that the vaccines that have already been taken and the hope is that more people will take these vaccines, that that won't provide some degree of protection against the most serious forms of, of this virus. I completely agree. And the other the other thing that's encouraging is that the uh, the occurrence of the variant was reported and it allowed to, there to be collaboration internationally. So that's very, very important that we be able to work together. And I hope that this these uh, travel restrictions don't discourage places from reporting if they do see something uh, potentially concerning. So do you think we're being too precipitous in announcing these restrictions are on borders. I think from a nation's perspective, you understand, particularly, I think, for Europe at this moment, that's already seeing a, a renewed wave of, of COVID cases. Are you saying you think it's too early to, to make these restrictions purely from a perspective that you don't want people to be afraid to report when they find a variant? Well, you, you just for the so far, travel restrictions have not been very effective in preventing the spread of COVID-19, with certain exceptions. I mean, there are obviously places like New Zealand and island countries where, where travel restrictions have been effective. But, but minus that, uh, you know, already this variant has been seen elsewhere. It would not surprise me at all if we hear about other countries where it has been reported. Um, Encouragingly, also, uh, we have uh, PCR tests that may be able to give us an early signal of whether this is spreading. So, so I think we'll know a lot more in the coming week of whether this has already started to spread and also whether it is causing more disease. What about mask wearing? Is this a reason for people, and you've already said it, look, get a booster shot, I think, if you're eligible. Get a vaccine if you haven't already. Should people be considering particularly in light of what you said about the potential for this to already have spread, to consider wearing masks once again inside? I think it's very reasonable for people to choose to do that. Uh, masks indoors in crowded areas can be very helpful in protecting people and also preventing spread to others. Uh, I don't know that it makes the sort of uh, next leap, which that you should go back to mask mandates. Uh, clearly, we have moved beyond uh, the pl place that we were in 2020 when we really didn't understand how the virus is spread. But I think it's very reasonable, especially for people who are immunocompromised, to wear masks indoors uh, to protect themselves. And I think that's that's something that we're going to be seeing globally for some time now. Mm. And I, I want to address the worst case scenario in order, I think, to just address the science that we have available. To your point, 
the good news is we know that, that scientists are going to be looking at this, that the World Health Organization is going to be looking at this. And we do have vaccine makers, and we've had them on this show that have said, look, we're at the stage now where we're looking at perhaps tweaking the vaccines that we have to better tackle variants of concern. Are we at the stage now, Dr. Sachs, in your mind, where if this were um, a very concerning variant that we needed perhaps to address in terms of altering a vaccine, are we able to do it? It may take some time, but we're able to do it. So, so one, Julia, you're absolutely right. One of the great things about the mRNA technology is that uh, alteration of the vaccine so that it addresses potentially more vaccine evasive variants is quite doable. Uh, and also, we know that surrogates of vaccine protection very well. So we could test that rather rapidly and, and then bring them out into clinical use. Uh, I do feel like right now it would be premature to do that. So far, there has not been a variant that has really shown our vaccines to be much less effective. What's made our vaccines less effective was the initial strategy that we used mm. to give people two doses. If we had given people three doses at the outset, probably it would have been better, especially if it had been spaced out. We now know that giving that third dose does increase your antibody levels substantially to levels that are even higher than people who've recovered from COVID-19. So, so uh, yes, the vaccine manufacturers can do that. The scientists can do that. It is uh, too early to do so. If I could mention one thing that is going to also be very important, uh, some parts of the world do have monoclonal antibody treatments available. That is one area where we really do need to look very carefully at this variant because the monoclonal antibodies work directly by attacking the uh, parts of the virus that appear to be mutated in this particular uh, strain. So what we want to see is do these monoclonal antibodies still neutralize uh, this variant? That would be important going forward. And that we hope that's addressed um, very quickly as well when they're analysing the data on this. Um, just to wrap up, Dr. Sachs, I think um, the key takeaway for people here has to be remain calm, remain vigilant. And the best way, if you want to panic about this, panic by booking yourself a, a vaccine appointment. Julia, you said it. You said it very well. I completely agree. Uh, until we get more information, the, the best thing we can do is get yourself vaccinated because that's the best protection that we have right now by far. Dr. Sachs, great to chat to you, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Clinical Director for Brigham and Women's Hospital. Thank you for joining us, sir. Okay, coming up after the break, a tale of two islands and one superpower. Why Taiwan is following China's actions in Hong Kong with trepidation. That's next. Welcome back to First Move. Relations between Taiwan and China are at their lowest point in decades. China has been ramping up pressure for the island to unify with the mainland. Meanwhile, many in Taiwan have been watching the crackdown in Hong Kong, fearing that the territory's fate could hold clues to their own, as Will Ripley reports. Hong Kong and Taiwan, two islands claimed by China less than 500 miles apart. They might as well be different worlds. In 2014, student-led protests broke out in Hong Kong and Taipei, both taking aim at Beijing's communist rulers. Taiwan's Sunflower Movement occupied the legislature for weeks. In Hong Kong, five years later, it was only a matter of hours. Two similar events, drastically different outcomes. If you had done the exact same thing, but you were in Hong Kong, where would you be today? I think we'll probably be in jail, yeah. In 2014, Lin Fei-Fan was a student protest leader. Today, a political leader. 
He says all of his activist friends from Hong Kong are either in exile or in jail, targeted by a sweeping national security law, a law imposed by Beijing last year. With the stroke of a pen, many of Hong Kong's freedoms promised for 50 years under one country, two systems, erased. What does that mean for Taiwan? I think that tells us that uh, uh, we must pre prepare the threats from China is very, kind of very escalating in a quite uh, serious level. Fears are growing. China may use its massive military to forcefully reunify with this self-governing island. Those fears helped Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen win re-election by a landslide last year. So you don't believe that China, even if they promised one country, two systems, would actually deliver that here in Taiwan? There's an issue of credibility there. And uh, the, the Taiwanese people have said it very clearly that they don't accept one country, two systems as the formula to resolve the country uh, issue. Opinion polls show support for Taiwanese independence at its highest point in decades. Students like Samuel Lee, afraid for their future, afraid the world's only Chinese-speaking democracy could become the next Hong Kong. Those protesters who are just as young as me getting tear gassed and, you know, getting beat up by the police, uh, I mean, that's just outrageous and devastating to watch. What do you think is inevitably going to happen? Uh, the Chi Chinese government taking over Taiwan is going to be in inevitable in my lifetime, I would believe. He worries this tale of two islands could have the same sad ending. Okay, we're back after this. Stay with CNN. Welcome back to First Move with a final look at what we're seeing across financial markets as the world assesses and grapples with the potential impact of a new coronavirus variant. As you can imagine, travel stocks taking a bit of a beating at this stage. Airbnb and Uber opened up some 6% lower. Airbnb is uh, off those lows, though, as you can see now. Delta Airlines, in the meantime, down almost 9% as we already see new travel restrictions appearing around the world. Of course, not all stocks are falling, and we've been here many times before. The traditional pandemic winners are all outperforming today. Vaccine makers, Moderna and Pfizer both rising, as you can see. A new variant likely to mean even greater demand, perhaps, for vaccines and potentially new versions or more boosters, as we have discussed. And stay-at-home stocks doing well, too. The likes of Zoom and Peloton also big gainers as investors bet that a new variant could mean more work and play from home too early to say. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, the first thing I'll say, and I've said it many times in this show, it's the day after Thanksgiving. Liquidity yep. is far reduced. You're going to see outside moves on these days. And we were sitting at record highs. There's lots of things to consider today. Absolutely. And markets overreact. That's what mm -hmm. they do. They overshoot. And so we should be prepared for next week to be different as there's more information, right? I mean, this is going to be key, finding out, can it evade immunity? Can it evade vaccines? Are there maybe simple fixes for current vaccines to address this if those first two questions I asked you uh, have, have, a, have a negative answer? So, there's a lot we don't know quite yet. And this rush to safety makes total sense with the S&P 500 up 25 percent this year. And the, the operating assumption before yesterday was that the U.S. economy is leading the world and the U.S. economy is roaring into the end of the year in pretty good in pretty good shape, despite inflation and 
COVID exhaustion and COVID fatigue in this country, the, the economic engine was humming here. So what does this new information mean? It means there's more uncertainty. Markets hate uncertainty. You're having these big sell-offs. I was noting, you, you talked about some of the stocks that are, going, that are higher. You know, uh, Netflix is higher. Amazon just turned negative, but is, is holding in there pretty steady. Um, you can see how markets are trying to think what a world would look like with this, new, uh, with this new variant and if this new variant is something that causes you know, travel to stall and causes people to sort of hunker down and stay home again. There's also this, this sort of school of thought, a lot of people this morning talking about whether the United States in particular would ever go back to the conditions we saw a year ago, whether that would really ever happen again, um, even with a new variant. So there's a lot of talk about that. And there's talk about what this means for the Fed and the Fed's tapering and, and, and eventual Fed rate hikes. So there's just a lot of different elements to explore here with not a lot of new information. Yeah, and build back better. Don't forget that too. Hey. Huge, as we do like to jump several weeks and months ahead. But <laughs> at, for today, at this stage, we all need to take a breath, I think. And um, there's much uncertainty and we need to acknowledge that, whatever's reflected so in the So much for the quiet markets. holiday Friday. Yeah, I know. Rest, everybody, please, this weekend. Christine Romans, you too. Thank you so Thank much. You. Okay, and before we go, a final thought from me. This morning, heart sank on the First Move team when news of this new variant emerged, and I'm sure many of you felt the same. There are so many unknowns and uncertainties. It's hard to know what to think. But as we've said many times on this show, until the facts arise, here are a few things to bear in mind. We have had nearly two years of this. Two years to learn about the nature of COVID-19, find vaccines, build supply chains, and strengthen international scientific cooperation. We are better prepared than ever to respond to whatever the challenge this pandemic throws our way. Personally, I'm taking a breath and I'm waiting till we get more data on what threat this variant poses. And I'm putting trust in science to find the right solutions when they're needed. I would urge you all to sit tight, hug your friends and families and wait for the facts. And of course, we will always be here to bring those to you on CNN. That's it for the show. Stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. And we'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.